Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
Good morning, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I am your host, Nube Brown, and we are going to start off our show listening to Ikemba. The reason I wanted to play this show is there are a few things that uh, are going to be highlighted or that you will hear uh, that uh, take place within prisons that are very similar to, uh, this is a Colorado prison, and that take place uh, here also in California. So first of all, this is something that takes place in all of the prisons, retaliation for speaking up. Apparently, you as a citizen, um, as a prisoner are stripped of all of your rights, of course, because according to the 13th Amendment, if you're convicted of a crime, you become a slave of the state. So you don't get to speak up for yourself. Uh, if you if you want to protest your conditions, you will be retaliated against, and so you will hear about that. Also, you will also hear something that is quite familiar with so many of the prisoners that we hear from, and that is they take the hit for other people, meaning they are going to stand up knowing that this is going to benefit the whole. The other thing that you will hear is about something called crons. Uh, here in California, we uh, know about confidential information that is used against prisoners to um, to give them longer prison sentences, to throw them in solitary confinement, to um, give them validations that will keep them from um, being able to be successful in their next parole hearing. So crons are uh, violations that are written up or yeah, violations that are written up by the guards, and they can just make stuff up. It's it um, is again, the the prisoner doesn't know that this is being done, so they of course don't get to defend themselves against it. Nonetheless, as with many of the uh, men and women uh, people that you hear on this show, they continue to have hope. They continue to do their work uh, inside that benefits again other people. And so um, this is, uh, you know, you'll hear some familiar things, but also um, you will hear a sense of hope. And the other last reason that I wanted to play this this particular episode is that uh, if many of you don't know, Malik Washington, who is the editor of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper, is also being retaliated against for speaking up, for being a responsible citizen, for being the editor journalist that he is, and exposed the COVID outbreak that was taking place in the reentry house, uh, the facility that he is um, caged in while he is not at work at the Taylor Street facility that is owned by the private prison corporation, GEO, who we want out of here. Malik is also being retaliated against because he um, he's being charged with an escape because he spoke at a at a as a rally um, about um, oh and of course it was about about the homeless and so if you want to uh, respect yourself and have dignity. Um, you don't get to do that, apparently, um, as long as you are a, a prisoner. And as long as you speak up uh, uh, for yourself, for the people, and you're doing the right things, um, this is exactly what they don't what they don't want. And because he's spoken up about uh, about Geo Group and about BOP. So I say all of this to 
keep us motivated and galvanized and working in solidarity for prisoner human rights and for our fight for humanity. This is a collective struggle for our liberation because if our people on the, on the other side of the wall aren't free, we aren't free either, and neither are their families. This is work we are going to do together. And if the, the prisoners, the people, our loved ones inside are willing to speak up and are willing to take the hit uh, for the injustices that are taking place and the, the human and civil rights abuses and violations that are taking place, we got to stand behind them and we got to stand with them. We have to be strong and we have to continue to be, um, yes, in solidarity uh, working with them. All right, I have talked enough. Here we go with Ikemba in Colorado. I'm just calling, it's called the incentive unit. Okay. And so basically what that is, 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 is they just give you extra privileges to incentivize you to stay out of trouble. I see. Stay um, out of trouble. Huh? But also, mm-hmm. but also, but all, yeah, yeah, but all, it's like a pacifier to keep people dumb with it or whatever. Uh, yeah, but also, it, it's like a scab type thing. So when they lock down the rest of the prison, uh, guys in there still have to go work to keep the prison running. Okay. So, um, yeah. Uh, and how I mean, long you know, have you been there? Morally, I've been in there for like three years. Oh. Uh, Okay, I see. Because the, the way it's been out here, like, so it's just different out here. Like, just the environment is just way different. And so, you know, I'm just one dude. I'm not trying to, and I'm too old. I'm not young. When I was younger, I probably would have came out here and been a whole different person. But anyway, I just blended in and try to make it work the best I can for me. So anyway, morally, I'm opposed to that whole Thing, but that's that's like what everybody wants to go in there here, and you get in there, and you know you get a little few extra privileges, you get to do a few extra things, and you're not locked down as much. You're out of your cell, and you get to use the phone when you want, shower when you want. You're basically out of your cell from the morning until night. It just COVID, uh, COVID interrupted all of that. But anyway, so. It looks good, like, if you're trying to show that you're staying out of trouble and programming and stuff. Right, right. But, uh, and, and then because never... I was running my program, um, so anyway, they kicked me out. Some lady took some, she works in the laundry, and she took some money off of my account. She accused me of altering some laundry stuff, and, uh, which I didn't. Uh, what I did do could have been wrong, I don't know, but it wasn't malicious or... And so basically she tried to accuse me of trying to scam the state out of $4.38. Oh my <laughs> but, God. Oh yeah, my God. so... But, so she... She, <laughs> she just took the money off my account. First she sent this thing telling me to either sign it allowing her to take the money off my account or she would write me up. And I was like, well, I didn't do nothing wrong, so go ahead and write me up, and I'll just fight it at the hearing. Um, but she didn't write me up. She just took the money, obviously because she knows I, I would have won or I would have beat the accusation in a hearing. Right. And then, long story 
story short, I filed a grievance because that's illegal, and I found out she's been doing this to everybody in the prison, taking literally thousands of dollars from all of us off our books, just taking randomly taking money off everybody's books for laundry shit. Wow. Um, you know, like they have speed traps in certain towns on the streets so that they can raise money for the city, their, their municipality or whatever. Right. That's kind of like what she created here. Mm -hmm. They got these tags that they put on the laundry bags and they got this weak-ass glue that they put on there. And so guys put their laundry through laundry and the tag just comes off through the wash. And then so, but she charges you $4 and some change for a new laundry bag. And so, but you're the one who's putting this ineffective glue on there and then you're charging people when it doesn't work and the tag falls off. Nobody wants to send a laundry bag with no tag because then you won't get your laundry back, right? Mm -hmm. Fucking scam. And she's been scamming, she's been scamming dudes apparently for years out here, charging us for state-issued state, state issue stuff that we're supposed to get for free. Oh, she, my God. She doesn't give it to us for free. We have to pay for it. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and file a grievance because I don't want them thinking it's okay to just take money off my account. And so they started retaliating. She started to retaliate against me. They got this thing where they write crimes. So crimes are not, it's not a write-up. And it's, it's supposed to be an informational system. Mm. So that if you get a number of crimes for the same issue, then they write you up. So it's like to prevent unnecessary write-ups. But because I was in the honor pod, they use, she uses that to get you get kicked out mm -hmm. um, like she writes a bunch of crimes on you and she gets you kicked out so that's what she did to me and uh wow. so that's... now I'm gonna I'm I'm fight that because it's, you're depriving me of my right to due process like I don't know what she said in the crime I have no clue what she said I, I have no way to defend myself and even though it's very small it's, she's doing it in retaliation for me filing the grievance and she's doing it so that everybody else would be like oh I'm not going to complain I'm going to just let her take my little bit of money uh -huh. and what about for all of those guys who don't get no money like four dollars ain't nothing to me but what about all those guys who have nothing and mm -hmm. all they got is state pay or whatever Absolutely. and so if you take that little four dollars from them they can't buy toothpaste for that month or they can't buy toilet paper or soap for that month right of course. or they can't call their family for that month yeah. um, so what about all of those guys and so I said okay well since I'm capable and, and I'm willing to fight that fight I'm going to fight that fight do you want some help do you want people do you want us to make a phone zap to the, to the warden and complain about her well I mean I don't want you to go too far out of your way but it wouldn't hurt to call and say because it essentially shut my program down Pathways to Freedom. Yeah, you can call the warden or you can call uh, the lady. There's a lady named Major Dorsey. She, she's, she's in charge under, she's in charge of housing and stuff. Like, she could have stopped it. So, essentially, what happened was, is uh, uh, the, my case manager basically conspired with this lady because there's a process, and they didn't even tell me. They just woke me up yesterday and told me to move. Um, but what they're supposed to do is notify you that you've been put up for review 
um, so that you could write a letter and submit the letter to the hearing. Um, and then they have a hearing and they review you, the situation, and decide whether or not to kick you out of the iPod or not. It's called the incentive unit, iPod for short. And uh, so they skipped all of that. They didn't tell me nothing. And so I don't know what was said in these crimes, but I know I've been in the iPod for like three and a half years. I've been in this prison for 10 years. I've never had a write-up. I've been a model inmate. I started my own program, teaching classes, encouraging other men to stay out of, out of trouble and to be positive. Um, and so for all of that time, all it takes is one person to say whatever she said about me. And I know I didn't do anything wrong. The, the, the only thing that I did that was, I could have did different was I said, I, I said, you're a crazy old lady because she was, she called me into her office supposedly to resolve the issue. But instead of resolving it, she had three, her and two other guards. She had me sit down and they all stood over me. And she started to like attack me and belittle me and try to humiliate me. And you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, soft-spoken, intelligent person, and you're not just going to shake me like that. So I spoke well, and I could see that that frustrated her. And so she was like, I don't want to hear nothing you have to say. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just leave. Um, but then before I left, she made the other CO stop me and grab me by the arm and search my gym shorts that I was wearing uh, for a tag or to see if they had pockets in them. Because uh, they don't, I guess we're not allowed to have pockets unless you have shorts from a long time ago or whatever. So uh, he did that, and uh, and so she told her she she made him escort me all the way back to the unit to take my shorts off my body and give them to him. And so all of that was in retaliation, just because I didn't respond, I didn't get all angry and super upset and cuss her out or nothing. And so that was her way of trying to piss me off, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, wow. and so that's, that's the but, whole situation what happened. Yeah, and but that's, that's and, geez, and so yeah. for that, I was like, I was like, you're a crazy old lady. And I just walked out. And so, uh, but I don't know what she said in the crimes. Like, like it's crazy that they could punish you without. I don't know what was said. I have no chance to defend myself. Uh, I have no chance to do anything. And so that's a violation of my due process right, right there. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, so, we, yeah, we want to support you. If you have anybody call up here, mm-hmm. yeah, just, if you have anybody call up here, just uh, explain, like, hey, uh, we heard about this, and, you know, uh, we, we support his program, and you're going to shut down his program? With, he doesn't even have a write-up. He didn't even he, he didn't do nothing, and his program is gonna get shut down like this. Uh, yeah. Um, what's the warden's name? His name is Jeff Wall. Jeff Wall. Okay. And I can get the phone number. And then the major is the major is uh, uh her name is Major Dorsey. Okay, Major Dorsey, and that she's uh she's in charge of housing. Okay. Yeah, she's over the iPod and the yard and all of that. Okay. So, I mean, I really don't care about 
going back into the iPod as long as I can still run the program the same and, and be able to do all the things that I was doing. Um, like, for example, I just received, so I had, I was in the process of making third houses that uh, me and the other men and that I was working with in the iPod, we were just about to, that day, that morning, we were about to build, uh, we are going to try to build 10, 10 bird houses and, uh, and then paint them and send them out to Yaspa. Uh, that's the uh, Young Aspiring Americans for Social and Political Activism. I, told you, I think I told you about that organization. And uh, they were going to give everything. I also have a bunch of stuffed animals and things that we put together, and they were going to give that to the kids that they work with uh, who are in high school, and the kids were going to be able to go and give those out or auction them off, sell them or whatever, and raise money uh, to, to purchase things for the kids that are, are having a hard time through COVID and just having a hard time in general uh, in disadvantaged communities and whatnot. Um, and so just that morning we were going to put the – bird houses together and the paints and everything that I had ordered came and and there I would I would have have I would have received them today. And we'd have been painting that stuff today. But now because I'm kicked out of there, I can't do any of that stuff because I'm not allowed to have those items here in the unit that I'm in. Oh. So essentially my program is shut down. Right. Right, and which of course and they basically know. Basically, what that is is that part of the that part of the. I'm just explaining this to you so you can have a full grasp of everything. But so that part of the program is community service. That's one of the pillars of Pathways to Freedom. Okay. Right. You mm -hmm. have victim impact awareness. You have education. Um, you have mental health. Um, you have community service, and you have reentry. Right, those are the five pillars of Pathways to Freedom. And so community service is about encouraging people to come up with ways and to participate in, in, in activities that help heal the harm that we cause to our communities, right? And to uh, help just change us and help other people to, to change themselves and how they see us. Um, to, it's our way to... Uh, uh, interact with the community and give back to the communities and so you know we raise funds and donate them i've been donating 300 dollars a month to yaspa which is primarily a youth organization um i've been donating 300 dollars a month for them for the for like the past three or four months and uh and and that's just on my own um because of the covid situation and i'm not allowed i, I have i can't get a hold of everybody and do stuff but we still were able in that in the iPod to uh, crochet items and create hobby craft items and send them out, and, uh, and and so that's just that's just what we do, and I've been doing that for a long time. And for the, what what is amazing to me is that I can be this model citizen, and, and trust me when I tell you I've changed my life. I, I really don't know how to explain it other than to say I used to be very misguided on how to deal with my frustration, my anger, my pain uh, for being incarcerated for something I didn't do uh, and for being given life 
without prison my first, I mean, life without parole my first time in prison. And, and, and I used to be a very angry person, and I dealt with all of that very wrongly. And, but I was able to really change my life. And so when I say I've changed my life, it, it really means something. Like, so um, for, for, for these people to see the changes that I've made in my life and, and, and for me to be this model uh, uh, community member for all these years, and therefore, this one CEO that they know has, she creates conflict with everybody. I'm not the first person. I'm not the only person. She's gotten numerous people kicked out of the iPod, lights people up regularly, takes people, takes money from everybody. She has hundreds of grievances filed against her for this same stuff. And for, for, for them to allow that person to smear my reputation. And you have 60 seconds remaining. And, and kick me out of the iPod and, and shut down my program like that without even having a hearing, without even being able to defend myself, without even knowing what she said about me. It's just crazy to me. Yeah, we have that same like, problem really here. Like, believe in reform? Yeah. Like, but here it's supposed to be different. They're supposed to be different here, right? Mm. And so it makes me feel like it's all a lie. It's just... You have 30 seconds remaining. Okay, yeah, I totally hear you, and it is heartbreaking. What is that woman's name? Can we use her name as well? Oh, the, oh, the lady who did this? Her name is Peck, Lieutenant Peck. She works in laundry. Okay. Hey, you, have a, you have a nice evening, the rest of your evening. I really want to thank you, and I, I really appreciate you. And uh, uh, mm. Yeah, you stay blessed. Okay, you too, Ikemba. Thank you. I'm so glad that you you feel comfortable calling and and letting me know what's happening. And I much I so appreciate it. And um, I'm, I'm I'm humbled by it. And and so you just stay as safe as you can as well. And yeah, f her. I see you're not going to let her get you down, and that's great. But still, you know, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of your you know your personal spiritual energy to have to to navigate this this way. And no, we we got your back out here. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Sending you hugs. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. If you are just tuning in, this is Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nube Brown. We were just speaking with Merritt Funches, and you spell his name M-A-R-R-I-T-T-E, last name Funches, F like friend, U-N like Nancy, C-H-E-S. And his prison number in Colorado is 155850. And we are asking that you call the warden at 970-521-5010. The warden's name is Jeff Wall. And we would like to tell him that we have heard that Merritt Funches has been removed from iPod, which is an incentive unit, um, where he was doing his wonderful program there, Pathways to Freedom, and we would like that to continue. We do not appreciate that he has been retaliated against and removed from the pod, which allows him to do this amazing work um, that benefits so many of the other men that he is housed with. Um, and we would also like to point out that Major Dorsey, 
who is the head of housing, and Lieutenant Peck, who is the head of laundry, um, are complicit in making sure that he was retaliated against and removed by being removed from the um, incentive pod. All right, that number again is 970-521-5010, and the warden's name is Jeff Wall. This is more practice, people. You can also call Governor Newsom at 916-445-2841 and tell him to release our elders. All right, let's practice. Let's stand in solidarity with our people inside who are doing the work, who should be home with their families, with their people. Call the governor. That's Governor Newsom, 916-445-2841. And to do what? Release our elders. All right, we are going to take a quick musical break and come back with me reading the words of Elder Lewis Powell, who is a signer of the Agreement to End Hostilities.
All right. Uh, Welcome back. We are going to end the show with an article written by Lewis Powell. It's going to be part one and part two. You can find this article in by going to the California Prison Focus website at prisons.org. This was published in issue number 60 of Prison Focus newspaper. Now, Lewis Powell is one of those elders that you have heard me ask you to call the governor to release. Lewis Powell, like Michael DeRoe and... Leonard Alexander, and Daryl Burnett, also known as Za, Yafeo, and Ifuma, is one of many hundreds of now elders who were subjected to the torture of decades of solitary confinement. Lewis Powell is a co-signer to the agreement to end hostilities, which in my mind is one of the most important documents of the last half century and should be a guiding resource for us as activists out here who care about prisoners' human rights and who care about the ongoing human rights crisis that is taking place within our prisons. The Liberate the Caged Voices social media campaign to liberate our caged elders directly focuses on these men who have been subjected to the torture of decades of solitary confinement. Many of them, if not most, if not all, went in as youth and they are now elders. Governor Newsom has inherited this continued crime against humanity by continuing to keep these men caged in California prisons. These are elders who put their lives on the line for other elders and for the youth that they knew were coming after them to possibly also be subjected to the torture of of solitary confinement by organizing thousands of prisoners across the country to hunger strike to end indefinite solitary confinement. And because they won, they've been continually retaliated against. And most of them are still languishing behind the bars of the California Department of Corrections small r rehabilitation and subjected now to multiple parole denials equaling a civil death. Some people don't want me to call this genocide, but I call it genocide nonetheless. This is a crime against humanity and it must stop. So when I ask you to call the governor at 916-445-2841 and demand that he release our elders, this 
is what I'm asking for. These men, like Lewis Powell, are who I'm asking for you to, to advocate for and work in solidarity with because they are still inside fighting for their freedom. And can we align with them? Can we act in solidarity and humanity with them? I know I sometimes sound like a broken record and I hope new people are hearing this. All you need to do is call the governor and tell him that you demand that he release our elders. All right, Dirty Politics, History of Solitary Confinement, Part One by Lewis Powell, issue number 60 of Prison Focus Newspaper. At the request of Minister King and Kim Pollock of California Prison Focus, I will dissect solitary confinement as I experienced it for 38 years. I make no apology for transition into animal aggression as a result of fear-induced manipulation and psychology of the environment. I will not water down the atrocities committed under the disguise of CDCR protecting society and the security of California prisons throughout the 70s, the 1980s, and 1990s that I, along with other similarly situated prisoners, experienced under indefinite solitary confinement. We attempted to appeal to the International Court of Justice for relief, all to no avail. The painful memory of the torturous time spent under solitary confinement will haunt me to my dying day. I have been free from solitary confinement since the end of 2015, and since then, in my writing, I bear the suffering of a human being desperately seeking a compassionate pardon from God-fearing people of society. There is no relief for me so long as I remain unsuitable for parole, under the disguise that I lack empathy for that crime that brought me to prison. I am deemed unsuitable, even though I have paid my debt to society twofold. I will not give a rundown of events in any chronological order. At 69 years old, I'm suffering from numerous deprivations, especially thought deprivation. I will encast prehistorical events before my incarceration in parentheses. Otherwise, everything else is personal experience or by way, by way of direct observation to the best of my memory. During my first prison term, I arrived at the California Institute for Men at Chino in the early 1970s. It, it was the reception center for Southern California state prisoners. At 23 years old, I was convicted, and rightly so, of voluntary manslaughter and assault in defense of my life against street gang members on the mean streets of South Central Los Angeles. I was processed in two months and endorsed for internment at Dual Vocational Institute at Tracy, the Gladiator School. Because of the amount of force and violence associated with this prison, few older convicts sought to go nor endorsed for Tracy. At Tracy, it was the end of a civilized existence. I had come to know life. I figured on paying my debt to society through taking advantage of the rehabilitation programs. Instead of rehabilitation, I would earn stripes for fighting through the fear-induced manipulation and psychology that comes with prison life. I would graduate with courage in hand in standing firmly against institutionalized racism. The very first week in Tracy, I witnessed the first of many killings that would come to be. Dan Berger, author of the book Captive Nation, on page 262, Berger states that between 1974 to 1976, the FBI reported and investigated 268 stabbings and 56 deaths in California prisons. Indefinite solitary confinement. In 1975, I would be taken to the solitary confinement unit for allegedly manufacturing hundreds of prison-made knives while inside the welding class. 
Prison guards had no weapon nor weapon stock to support said accusation that an alleged prison informant told them. The disciplinary correction officer made a proposition to me. If I worked secretly with prison guards by reporting on black militant reformers, then solitary confinement would be suspended. I refused to play ball and spent the next two years in a solitary confinement unit. In or about May of 1977, without notice, I was allowed to leave solitary confinement. Apparently, prison guards assumed that I had shown the correct appeasement behavior by not responding verbally or defensively to their racial insults, calling me a piece of sh mud people, buckwheat, monkey, and of course, nigger. In late June of 1977, the prison guard rep for Tracy approached me with another proposition that I flatly refused. I was returned to solitary confinement without even a disciplinary hearing. This time, I was classified as a threat to the security of California prison. I had not violated any prison rules to justify such treatment. I was an outspoken abolitionist who was promoting prison reform as a strategy. I had earned the respect of my racial brothers shortly after arriving in Tracy, which didn't go over well with the prison guards. All white males. The governor of California between the years of 1975 and 1983 was Jerry Brown Jr. He was the first public official that I had high regards for. Well, in 1977, the prison guard union notified Governor Brown of their intention to go out on a first ever work strike in early 1988 if he doesn't agree to the union's terms. Governor Brown responded by stating that if prison guards go on strike, then he would activate the state national guards to go inside of California prison to replace the striking prison guards. The union rep, over Tracy Prison then offered me a proposition that a lot of influential black prisoners would not have turned down. The prison guard union wanted me to influence the black prisoners in the general population to rebel against the authority of the state national guards if they were sent in. The union rep stated that I would be guaranteed a transfer to any prison of my choosing and I would be granted parole because a good conduct chrono would be placed in my central file. I couldn't believe that a public official was trying to bring me into a seditious conspiracy against the state of California executive branch of government. Furthermore, I felt offended that they believed I would sell my soul by collaborating with racist prison guards. I had already established a reputation for showing myself to be unafraid and non-conforming to the status quo of institutionalized racism. Because I refused to play ball for the second time, I was placed in handcuffs and taken before the prison watch commander. He stated that I would never see the general population until I agreed to work in collaboration with the prison guards as their prison snitch. My first few months of solitary confinement in 1975 was a trying experience mentally, physically, and psychologically. It wasn't until I had spent 10 days in a dark, quiet cell I was stripped of all clothing until I was bare naked. There was no bedding, mattress, nor even a mat to lie on. The cold concrete floor and walls were covered in a dry cluster of feces dating back years. The quiet cell had no sink or toilet, just a hole in the floor to defecate and urinate in. The stench and the condition was so bad that I became agitated, which triggered my asthma. 
The prison guard overseer only opens the slot in the steel door at feeding time at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Only the most sadistic prison guards are assigned to the solitary confinement unit. At the first feeding time, I never in life thought that I would plead to anyone except for God, but I found myself pleading to see the prison doctor. That was to no avail, and it would be my shame to my last day for asking a sadistic, racist prison guard for help. Because I dared to request to see the doctor, I was given no eating utensil. With each meal came a cup of water. It only took one feeding for me to learn how to eat like a dog in complete darkness without using my hands. I could not afford to waste any of the water towards hand cleaning. All right, part two, redemption. I had a choice of joining the ranks of many broken men or else I could surrender to suicidal thoughts or I could emerge with superior ability such as Frederick Nietzsche's Superman. I chose to emerge while in complete darkness in becoming a new man. I couldn't even see my hands. I kept my eyes closed in order to defeat the psychological factors of darkness, nudity, and stench that had triggered my asthma. I allowed my state of mind to fall into delusion for emotional stability, which brought me relief from an agitated depression. Years later, I would be explaining to other men about how instead of fighting the losing battle of holding on to one's sanity under insane conditions, I consciously allowed a degree of insanity into my state of mind. I did this in order to preserve as much of my sanity as possible. This technique would help only a few. Others would either fall into total insanity or agree to work as a prison snitch for relief. Between the 1950s and 1990s, the prison psychiatric department did not voice any opposition to the mental torture of prisoners under solitary confinement. Both the federal government and the military-industrial complex had contracts with the prison psych department. The mental breakdown of prisoners was fodder for the psych department to conduct experiments in performing lobotomies, shock treatment, and all kinds of psychiatric drug therapy under the disguise of mental health treatment. While in darkness with my eyes closed, I began to tell myself grandiosity stories by fantasizing about being inside the hull of a slave ship during the 17th century bound for the unknown. Plus, I was more fortunate than most who would undergo 10 days of complete darkness. See, at the age of 16 years old, a non-religious entity known as the Malcolm X Foundation of Compton, California in 1967, they selected me among a small group of 20 teenage boys, all black, to be psychologically indoctrinated under the ideological school by militant reformers, all funded by the federal government. The X Foundation armed us boys with an enhanced ideological education and extensive training in mental, physical, and psychological discipline. My prior training, along with the stench and nakedness inside the darkened cell, would provide a realness of actually being on board a slave ship. Yes, the fantasy provided me with the feeling of greatness to help my ancestors to overcome their fears and the inhuman environment inside the ship hole. Each day, I fell deeper into the fantasy until the quiet cell door opened up for me to exit on the 10th day. This time, I was being escorted to a permanent solitary confinement cell inside the security housing unit, SHU, for indefinite confinement. I vowed to become the first new man inside of California prisons. I would turn the cell into a monastery. I would become like a monk, but under political vows instead of religious vows. I would become a trendsetter in social behavior under very trying times. I would subordinate myself to right no racist prison guard nor gang member would ever turn me away from doing what was right. Initially, 
a few blacks started transitioning themselves into becoming a new man. By the end of the 1970s, the philosophy of the new man had spread to every prison solitary confinement unit in California. The new man's discipline, behavior, and professionalism would infuriate the non-professional prison guards who were racist and chauvinistic. I would receive a disciplinary report for using the words of a new man in an essay I wrote. The prison guard stated the term of the new man is a prison gang, oriented words. During the disciplinary hearing, my defense was the African Heritage Study Bible King James Version at Colossians 3.10, of which read and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. The disciplinary hearing officer was so relieved that I gave him a way out of finding me guilty. He told me that he was under pressure to find me guilty, of which went against his conscience. After being found not guilty, prison guards would retaliate by conducting cell searches and either confiscating all of my writings or tearing it to pieces. Other similarly situated blacks would receive the same treatment. They started claiming that our writings were gang-oriented material. It didn't stop us from writing, so they took away the writing stationery. When this occurs, we simply train ourselves to write essays in our minds, and then we lock it away in the archive of our memory banks until we can obtain stationery. War of Attrition Solitary confinement during my long journey has been the most dangerous and deprivation aspect of doing a prison term that has absolutely nothing to do with paying a debt to society. Solitary confinement has been a Vietnam of actual learning and executing combat. I have been suffering from war neuroses since the 1970s, and I am not alone. The CDCR will never acknowledge that hundreds of long-term solitary confinement victims are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Racial-hating white prison guards provided the contraband of war to particular white racist prison gangs to use against blacks in general. I have been shot at with prison-made zip guns. I have had a prison-made bomb tossed into my assigned cell twice. I have come under spear attacks and even had to use hand-to-hand combat techniques to prevent myself from being stabbed to death. Sleep during the hours that is active with movement is a, a definite no. There are always those undisciplined prisoners who won't listen to being given good, healthy advice. Prison guards routinely open up the wrong cell door so a target individual can come under attack by two or more individuals. But equally more dangerous is flammable liquid like lighter fluid that would be thrown over a sleeping prisoner bedding while he slept. I knew three blacks being awakened by fire burning them. Even though they survived the attack, their bodies were disfigured. Between the years of 1970 to 1986, Racist and chauvinistic prison guards would smuggle into solitary confinement unit of particular prisons things like lighter fluid, gunpowder, hacksaw blades, handcuffed keys, bowie knives, actual handguns, and even at Folsom, a stick of dynamite for racist prisoners to use in a conspiracy to kill Yogi Pinnell, one of the San Quentin Six. The progressive-minded blacks under indefinite solitary confinement weren't pacifists sitting back waiting to be murdered. For most every action taken against blacks, there was a counter-retaliatory response of equal magnitude. Blacks had to learn how to make effective rudimentary instruments of war. This called for weaponizing everything from deodorant to baby oil to sulfur from matches, creating a jelly-like napalm substance and even the King James Bible for its paper contents. I'd seen a flamethrower made and put to use crossbows and other instruments of prison warfare being used with 
such precision that prison officials ban the candy jelly beans. They would ban all petroleum-based hair grease and other hygiene products like dental floss. Ultimately, my survival and that of other similarly situated blacks, if we wanted to live to see tomorrow, depended on our ability to master the art of prison warfare. Different threshold. Years and decades of solitary led to many doors. At least 50% of prisoners would go through the Stockholm Syndrome. About 10% went criminally insane into homicidal rage, 5% would have a nervous breakdown, and 2% would simply drop dead, and the remaining 33% would suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. During my first three years of solitary, I realized that activity deprivation resulted in myself and other similarly situated prisoners pacing back and forth in our small cells for hours like lions inside a locked cage. I was among the first group of blacks in the 1970s to start a program of collective exercising every morning during the weekdays beginning at 8 a.m. It gave us a recreation to look forward to every morning. Of course, it didn't go over well with the prison guards who claimed that our collective exercising was an act of militaristic training. Then we started cadre educational classes using, initially, the Christian Science Monitor newspaper that was more political than religious. It was the only reading material that was allowed beside the Bible. Prison guards started putting bad conduct reports in our central file, calling us communists because we used the term cadre. Only in the Tracy Prison Solitary Confinement Unit did Mexican participate, Mexicans participate in the collective exercise program and the educational cadres. Throughout the history of solitary confinement, we would go without seeing the outside landscape of trees, grass, plant life, or dirt. The outside natural world eventually became a fantasy. By the time 2015 arrived and I first saw the setting sun, I had no idea what I was seeing. It took a long few minutes for me to figure it out. I developed relationships and associated with blacks from all walks of life. I could care less if they were a prison or street gang member, a Muslim or a Christian or simply non-affiliated. They were my brothers. And I could care less about how many affiliation reports were placed in my central file for being in association with any prison or street group. I've seen too many try to avoid their brothers because they didn't want an affiliation report placed in their central file. Imagine going years without social conversation with anyone. I knew what would happen. In every case, the individual went insane and there was nothing we could do to help them. Then they were beyond help. There was a lot of degeneration of moral, emotional, and intellect. Too many prisoners of every racial class became reduced to throwing their human waste of urine, even feces, at the opposing race and even at prison guards. Noticeable difference. A noticeable difference between blacks, whites and blacks under solitary confinement during the entire 1970s was not a single white attempted suicide or showed any outward appearance of suffering environmental stress. There are several reasons for this said phenomenon. One is that prison guards did not manipulate an anti-white environment that placed them at a racial disadvantage. Also, whites were not living under the prospect of never getting out, indefinite solitary confinement. They knew their exit date. Lastly, they were under no form of discrimination by the prison administration. Likewise, not a single Mexican attempted suicide or showed any outward appearance of suffering environmental stress. Several reasons for said phenomenon. The prison guards didn't manipulate an anti-Mexican environment that placed them at a racial disadvantage. 
Also, Mexicans weren't under indefinite solitary confinement. They knew their exit date. And lastly, occasionally, a Mexican or two faced invidious discrimination that didn't provoke any collective protest. The absolute noticeable difference between blacks versus white Mexican was the impact that institutionalized racism was having on blacks. It was mentally breaking down a lot of the blacks under indefinite solitary confinement. There would be attempted suicides by cutting their wrists with razor blades, and there would always be attempted hangings with a few successful ones. I've seen too many blacks have or feign nervous breakdown. It made no difference, real or not. They would become fodder for the psych department. And there were no rules or laws during the 1970s against forced drugging those who refused to take the medication for depression. Environmental stress was real. The prison guards did manipulate an anti-black environment that placed blacks at racial disadvantage. Some blacks would have nightmares of being assaulted during a setup. Their frightening screams would wake everyone up. Racist prison guards were so abusive towards blacks in solitary confinement that whites and Mexicans felt superior because they weren't being abused. Throughout the entire history of the CDCR, only blacks felt the sting, pressure, and drowning by high-pressure water being used on them. Racist prison guards in Tracy's solitary confinement unit in 1978 and 1979 decided to have sports with themselves and several other blacks. The high-pressure water was worse than being tear-gassed. In the San Quentin Adjustment Center, a mentally ill black prisoner in an adjacent cell from me would be bullied by a sadistic prison guard. Afterward, the prison psych would shoot him up with psych medication. All right, we are going to have to leave it there, and I invite you to come back next week to hear the rest of this incredibly informative and enlightening article by Elder Lewis Powell. And I invite you to please tell other people to listen in to Prison Focus Radio and hear the voices of these men, women, and siblings to learn more about what's really happening inside of our prisons. And please call the governor at 916-445-2841 and demand the release of our political prisoners, our elders. Demand their release. They deserve to come home. All right. Get ready for Steve Seltzer with Work Week. Have a beautiful week. I love you. All power to the people.